What's up, Meta Ranch? Hey, give it up for the band one more time. That last, that last song was beautiful. Oh my goodness. I, uh, hearing you guys sing that song that was just so incredibly deep, proclaiming that we have nothing but Jesus in us. That, check this out, okay? We're just gonna jump in. Just gonna jump right in. That we have, we have no hope apart from Christ. And I think as we wrestle with this theme of truth this week, it's important that you know that apart from the love of God, we are hopeless. We have no hope. And so hearing you sing and proclaim that song, man, that, that touched my heart. Thank you guys for that. Hey, uh, question. Anyone here like basketball? Cool. All right. So to kick things off tonight, I'm going to tell you a story, okay? And I'm going to tell you a story about the single greatest basketball franchise in NBA history, okay? And just shut up about the Celtics, because that's not who I'm talking about, okay? Uh, I, of course, am talking about the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah. Yeah. And... Like I care about your booing. I don't, I don't have any cares at all. So, now that we're all in agreement <laughs> that the Los Angeles Lakers are the single greatest basketball franchise in the history of the NBA, okay? It was a couple years ago that my friend Bobby, dear friend at my church, he's a, a board member, my golfing buddy, our sons are friends. He's my son's baseball coach, like good, good friend. All of those qualifiers mean he's a good friend. But what I'm about to tell you means he's a really good friend. So my friend Bobby calls me and he goes, hey, my boss, uh, my boss has season tickets to the Lakers. And he said, it's my turn. I get to take four people. You're the first person I'm calling. You in? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I haven't even told you when it is. I was like, doesn't matter. It could, it could literally be my mom's birthday and I will go to the Lakers game. Uh, I don't care, so. No, I, well, pardon, pardon my honesty. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just being real with you about how I feel about this opportunity of a lifetime. And so he goes, all right, it's, it's on this day. It was like a Tuesday night. Uh, Tuesday night, Lakers are playing uh, the Trash Warriors, okay? All right. Yep, that's what I'm saying, boo! Boo the Warriors, thank you, yep. See, we're on the same page now, boo the Warriors. Okay, so he goes, don't yell at me. I'm just kidding. Okay, so um, this, is gonna be, this is gonna be, at this rate, my entire sermon is telling this story. Uh, okay, so he goes, um, he goes, it's Tuesday night, I'm gonna leave work early, let's get down there, we'll have dinner, we'll go to the game. He goes, and by the way, um, my boss got really good season tickets this year. We're like, we're like within nine rows of the, of the Lakers bench. Like we're right there. We're within, we're within single digits of rows behind the Lakers bench. And he wasn't kidding because we go to dinner, we show up to Staples Center, we take our seats, and like I can see the sweat on the back of their heads. And I'm like, this is amazing, okay? The game's going on. Now, I really get into competition, um, embarrassingly so. 
Like, I will look like a fool for competition. And I'm a Lakers fan, diehard Lakers fan, like a really big Lakers fan, if I haven't made that clear. And so the Lakers are playing the Warriors, and the whole time, I'm like this close to the Lakers and the Trash Warriors. And so I started going, whenever Draymond would run by, I, I started going, Draymond, you suck, like really loud like that. Not proud of it. Not proud of it. You should never talk that way. You should never talk that way, okay? And I'm, I'm, I'm repeating this line over and over, so much so that like the, 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 the Staples Center ushers with the red jackets come up to me and they go, sir, we need you to follow us. And I'm like, oh no, I've gone too far. And so they take me out into the, the lobby, kind of where they sell food and jerseys and stuff, and they go, sir, listen, you're not in trouble. We just had to kind of make a scene um, because Draymond's publicist is sitting near you, and the word is that the feed playing this game on ESPN can hear what you're yelling, and it's not good for him. And I was like, and the problem is, you know, what's the problem here? And I go, I'm so sorry, just having a good time. I'll, I'll cut it out, okay? So we go, back to, we go back to our seats, and I'm like, I gotta find a different way to have fun at this basketball game. I can't yell at the Trash Warriors, the Trash Draymond Green. And by the way, if you're a Warriors fan, you know Draymond's trash too, so it's fine. We're all good. And so, I'm, and so I, I now turn my attention to, to the king, to LeBron James, and I'm like trying to get his attention, and I'm like waving, and at one point, LeBron turns, looks right at me, and gives me one of these, like a hello, like a hello wave. And I was like, oh, did he just? And I like kind of grab it and hold it to my heart. And my friends are laughing and we're being cheap. The people around us are laughing at this point. My like class clown is dialed to a 10, right? Well, it's now uh, 30 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Lakers are up, like game's over. Clock ends, game's over. And I'm like, wow, that was amazing. When I look to my left, and the woman who's been sitting next to me the whole time meets LeBron James in the aisleway next to me and gives him a hug. And so let me contextualize what happened. For two hours, I made myself look like a complete and utter fool 18 inches away from LeBron James's wife the entire time. At no point, at no point in the game was he ever waving at or acknowledging me, none of this was happening. The woman sitting right here was his wife, Savannah. And I remember walking to the car like, man, I'm too old to still be learning this lesson. Like, what on earth have I done? I share that story with you because I want you to think about a time, and if you don't have one, just use my, my pain and my stupidity to be your version of this story where where you maybe met someone and you didn't fully know who they were, right? Can you think about that situation for a second? Can you think about a time that you met someone and then later on someone's like, do you even know who that was? Like that was the mayor or something. And you're like, what? What does a mayor even do? Like for real, what does a mayor even do? I have no idea. Uh, right, can you think about that? That's what we're gonna read about here in the book of John chapter four, okay? We're gonna read about a time where someone meets Jesus and had no idea who she was talking to. John chapter four. Now, this is gonna be a very large chunk of scripture and so I'm gonna read this to you, but first you gotta stop chit-chatting and two, 
You can either follow along or listen to me read this, but this is John chapter four. I'm gonna read from verse five to verse 26, and I'm using the NIV translation, okay? It goes like this. John chapter four, verse five through 26, it goes like this. It says, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 11, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped here on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must, must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, he replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Verse 26, then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that tonight as we open up your word and read such a peculiar but awesome story, a story, God, where this woman clearly has no idea who it is she's talking to until the end of the conversation. God, a story where you explicitly and very clearly tell people who you are. You made no mistakes. There was no secret about who you were. Give us eyes to see and a heart to understand this truth tonight. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. So here's what we see happening in John chapter 4, okay? What we see happening in John chapter 4 is Jesus has now called his disciples to be with him. And his disciples have been going all around Jerusalem, the Galilee, Israel, sharing about the love of God. Jesus has now done a couple miracles. Jesus has now began to teach. His ministry is well underway at this point in time. And we get to a point in Jesus' journey where he's crossing through territory that if you didn't know, it alludes to it here in this passage, but if you didn't know, Jesus enters into a part of his world where people like him would not have regularly gone. Why? Well, because the Jewish people, those who were Jewish by birth, those who were Jewish by religion, those who were Jewish by ethnicity, were a very proud group of people. They were very proud of their lineage. They were very proud of how God established them through Father Abraham. They had a lot of pride in who they were. It's not a bad thing. But here's where it gets bad. There was also a group of people known as Samaritans. And these Samaritans, I think the most simple way to explain to you what a Samaritan was would be like if you've ever watched a red Harry Potter and you're familiar with what a mudblood is, right? Anybody? Yeah? And and that in, in the book of Harry Potter is a bit of a derogatory term, and I don't mean for it to be used as such, except to say that a Samaritan was someone who was part Jewish culture and part Greek culture. Like they had a mixture of these two things going on. And for that reason, in the first century, there was like a deep-seated racism that existed within their cultural context. These two groups of people did not get along. These two groups of people avoided each other. These two groups of people typically did not have kind or nice things to say to one another. Does that make sense? So you have a Samaritan part of Israel and you have a Jewish rabbi with his followers, with his disciples traveling through. Now the second piece that's interesting about this conversation that Jesus gets himself into is that Jesus is alone. Like he sent the boys on, a, on like a Taco Bell run. He's like, hey guys, we need some food. I'm gonna post up here by this well. You run into town. You know I like extra mild sauce. I heard they brought back the Mexican pizza. Let, get me one of those, okay? And I'm gonna hang out here and you come back. And so Jesus, knowing full well what's going to happen, is hanging out at this well that had deep significance to someone who is of Jewish descent. Why? Well, because this well, this well was something that, that meant something to them. If you read through the, the end of your Bible, the end of your Bible uh, in the book of Genesis, you see that there's someone named Jacob. And there's someone named Joseph. This well goes all the way back to the last chapters of the book of Genesis. It was something that was given to him. In fact, this Samaritan woman even references it. She's like, but you know who used to drink here. You know who used to get water out of this. You know that he used to like feed his livestock. Like this is an important place. Third piece that's interesting about this story is the time of day where it takes place. The time of day where it takes place is is when? Noon, 12 o'clock, high noon. Tell me, where's the sun at in the sky at noon? Straight up. Straight up, thank you. Yep, I like that. Yes, right overhead. Now, something that you need to know that's happening beneath the surface of this passage is the people who would typically go to the well to get water at noon would have been lower in their social class. Because the best time to go get water when the sun is high is in the morning and in the evening, not in the middle of the day, because drawing water out of a well is something that was very laborious. It was something that would have taken a lot of effort. And when the sun's beating down on you, it makes that job all the more difficult, okay? 
So we've set the stage for what's going on here in this passage. What we see here is that a Samaritan woman shows up to the well when Jesus is there. And when she walks up, Jesus asks her a question. He says, woman, could you please get for me some water? I would like some water. Okay? Look back in, in, into the book of John, chapter uh, John 4, verse 7. It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Skip down to verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? What she's referencing there is the difference in their cultures. What she's referencing there is the difference between her and this Jewish man that she's talking to. And then Jesus hits her with some knowledge. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He would have given you living water. This term living water refers to a Jewish cleansing ritual that would have taken a Jewish, Jewish person from a sinful state to a cleansed state. My father-in-law is a general contractor. And every now and then, he gets contacted by people who are Jewish to build for them in their backyard something known as a mikvah. And a mikvah is a pool that is, is meant to hold water so that that person can go and, and ceremonially and religiously cleanse themselves of their sins. But there's a catch. That water has to be what's called living water. That means that water has to have life in it. It has to be moving it could be captured rainwater, but it has to be, it can't just be sitting there with like algae and bugs, right? If you look at that map in the back of your Bible later tonight, you'll see two large bodies of water in the nation of Israel. You'll see one, the Sea of Galilee, this big, beautiful lake. It's where Jesus walks on water and feeds tens of thousands of people. And then you follow this river down from there and you see a place known as the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea would not have been living water because it had no outlet and it was full of salt. So Jesus responds to this woman after he has asked her for water. Mind you, she still has no idea who it is she's talking to. And he said, if you just had the slightest clue who it was who was asking you for a drink, you would have asked me for a drink, and I would have given you living water. I would have given you something that would have made you never be thirsty again. The first thing I want to point out to you guys tonight, as we look at who Jesus was when he walked on this earth, the first thing I want you to see about Jesus' earthly ministry is that Jesus was someone who saw people. Like, like in this instance here, in this passage, this is not a, a circumstance, this is not a situation that would have typically happened during that day. These are not two people who would have been talking, let alone a Jewish man would have never asked a Samaritan woman to give him water. That's just something that he wouldn't have done. But Jesus, seeing past the cultural nuance of his day, sparks up a conversation with this woman to show her something. And the thing that he wants to show her is that regardless of what our culture and our society says about you and says about me, I want you to know that I see you enough to begin talking to you. I see you enough to spark up conversation. I see you enough to offer you a type of water that would actually make you never have to come back to the well again because it's going to be living water. Did you know that God's word says this in the book of Psalms, chapter 33, verse 13? The Bible says in the book of Psalms that from heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all of mankind. 
What does that mean? Middle school student, counselor, youth pastor, what that means is God sees you. And that may be a terrifying and a frightening thing that God sees you. And you may be thinking to yourself, I don't really care that God sees me, but I want you to look at the rest of this interaction that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman because this this forethought, this invitation, this sight, the acknowledgement of this woman means something so much more than we can understand at face value. Moving on to verse 11, it says, Sir, the woman said, have you nothing to draw water with? The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, also as did all of his livestock? This woman responds to Jesus with like a series of questions. She's having a little bit of a mental freak out. She goes, hang on, who are you? Where's this water? Do you have like crazy long arms? I don't understand. Like what are we even talking about right now? And then Jesus hits her with some knowledge some terrifying knowledge, but it doesn't scare her. This knowledge comes to her almost comfortably. This knowledge comes to her from someone who who couldn't have just seen her, but from someone who truly must know who she is. Because Jesus then kind of sets her up. He says, hey, why don't you go get your husband and I'll tell you all about this living water. And she goes, I don't have a husband. And he goes, I know you don't. In fact, I know that you just don't have a husband. I know that you've had five, and the person that you're with right now isn't even your husband. Now, as you read that, as I read it earlier, I heard some of you go, oh, like you're thinking Jerry Springer or whatever today's version of that is. You know, you're like, oh my goodness, what's going on? That's not the point. Because what we never see Jesus do when he walked the earth is shame someone for their sin. What we never see Jesus do is rub someone's face in the mistakes and the mess that they've made of their life. Now, don't get me wrong, Jesus is very quick to call out those who felt as though they knew more than anyone else about who God is and how you could get close to him. Jesus, he beat on that drum a lot. But in this instance, Jesus isn't bringing up this woman's seedy past. He's not bringing up this woman's sinful behavior to make her feel bad about herself. No, what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to let her know that I know who you are. And this whole illustration of water, this whole conversation around thirst, I'm not doing this because I need something to drink. I'm doing this because I want you to know who I am. The woman's response to Jesus' question tells us everything we need to know about her understanding of who she is. She looks at him and says, well, you must be a prophet. How else could you know this about me? I was taking a walk around the lake today, and I felt like like God gave me words to, to maybe explain this to you in a different way. So you, as a middle school student, probably have things going on in your life that you would be very embarrassed if other people found out. Right? Like, Like you may or may not have deleted your browser history before coming to camp. You may or may not have, maybe you had things in your room that you wanted to hide because you knew you weren't going to be home and you didn't want your parents to find it. Now, I'm not saying this to shock you. Please stick with me here. Don't get distracted. You you may have made mistakes in your past, things that you've never told anyone about. Maybe things have happened to you, things that you have a hard time even talking about. Here's the comfort that I want to bring you from God's word tonight. Regardless of what has happened to you or what you have caused in your life. This Jesus that we're studying this week, he sees you and he knows you. He sees you and he knows you. 
That's so powerfully important for us to understand. And all of this traces back to that thing that we talked about two nights ago. The fact that this God that we're singing to, this God that we're learning about, this God that we're wrestling with this week is the creator and maker of everything. He has perfect wisdom and knowledge about what's going on within his creation. And that wisdom and knowledge extends to you and to your life as well. A few years ago for Christmas, my wife and I, uh, we bought, obviously, gifts for our children. Love to do that. I love giving gifts to my kids. One of my favorite things to do at Christmas time is the stockings. Anyone in here love a good stocking? Yeah? So whether or not you celebrate Christmas, is, that's okay. The stocking is like that red sock thing that hangs above the mantle. Maybe your family does it. My family's always done it. And the thing that I love a lot about that stocking is like that's the place where like you get some socks, like I get some duct tape, maybe some new razors to shave my face with. Like it's kind of where the like things you want, but it's not quite a gift go, okay? Well, one year my wife and I had such a blast putting those together that for my youngest daughter, Maylee, we had put this like awesome glow stick necklace thing in there. So it was a glow stick, battery powered, very bright, with a little rope around it. She could wear it spelunking or cave diving. I'm not really sure what the purpose of a necklace glow stick is. Maybe she goes to raves, like at the time she was like five. I don't know. I'm not sure what the necklace was for. But she was so into it. Christmas morning, she got all kinds of gifts. But the thing that stood out to her the most was that glow stick. So much so that she wore that thing around the house all day long, into the night. Well, it comes time for Christmas night which I don't know about you, but Christmas night's not my favorite because the whole time you're like, I gotta wait a whole nother year for this, dang it. And so I'm putting my kids to bed on Christmas night and I walk in to my daughter's room and I notice that she's going to bed with her glow stick still around her neck. And I walk in and she's like this, just looking at the glow of her new toy. And I come in and I did what any good parent would do. I said, hey, I love that you're so into this toy, but we probably should turn it off or the batteries will die and I got it from the 99 cent store, so I don't even know if I can put new batteries in it, number one. Number two, I don't want you to sleep with a necklace around your neck. That's not safe, that's dangerous, and I love you too much to let you do this. She goes, okay. I was like, okay, so you're gonna take that necklace off and put it on the dresser, right? And she goes, yep. And I go, yeah? She goes, yes. All right, good night. I walk out. But I wasn't born yesterday. So I came back 10 minutes later, and I peek in the door, And from under her blankets and her sheets, I can see the faint glow of this glow stick. And so I did, again, what I feel like any good parent would do, and I'm very prone to the grumpies. Like, I get grumpy pretty quick in these situations, but it's Christmas, and I'm not trying to ruin anyone's Christmas. So I go, be nice. So I walk in, and I go, hey, just coming back, you know, I want to make sure you're doing good. You doing good? Yep. Hey, quick question, by chance. Um, You think you might still have that glow stick on around your neck? No. Dad, no. You said to put it on the dresser, and so, well, it's not on the dresser, but I'm not wearing it anymore. I'm like, don't get mad, don't get mad, don't get mad, it's Christmas. And I go, okay, just listen. Spirit of Christmas, I'm gonna give you grace here, is there any chance that you're lying to me right now and you're still wearing the necklace? Not at all, Dad. It's Christmas. I would never do that to you. And at this point, I'm like boiling in my head, like not, not a happy camper, okay? 
And so I opened my mouth trying to find something kind to say, but here's the words that came out. The words that came out were, uh, Tony Stark, your chest is glowing. Like I can literally see the glow stick on your chest. Hand me the glow stick, I'm gonna give it back to you in the morning. So I take it, I give her a hug, I go to bed. I think, and here's, here's the reason, don't lose the point of the story. I think that sometimes we forget that God sees and knows us. Like sometimes it's really easy for us to go through life as though we are our own God, as though the person who's in charge of my life is me. And there's nothing you can really tell me to do. There's nothing you could tell me to do. There's certainly nothing you, unseen God, can tell me to do. Why? Because I'm in charge of my life. But look at what's happening here in this text. In this passage, this woman is coming face to face with God in human skin. And he, he relates to her, he sits with her, he sees her, and he lets her know through bringing up her colorful past that he knows her. But here's the thing I love about Jesus. The thing I love about Jesus is that he doesn't just see you and he doesn't just know you, he chooses to love you. Because look at what happens at the end of this passage. Jesus says to her in verse 21, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father on this mountain, nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. He's referring to some of those prophecies that we were talking about, that Jesus is going to come through the lineage of David, that Jesus is going to come all the way back to Abraham, all the way back to Adam. Jesus is going to come. Salvation has come through the Jews. But then he says this. He says, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for they're the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And then the woman says to him, I know that one day the Messiah is coming. Ah, she was familiar with the scriptures. We talked about that last night. She, she trusted God. She had hoped for. She had anticipated. She had longed for this coming. And so talking to Jesus, she says, I know one day that the Messiah who's called the Christ is going to come. And then look at what Jesus does to her. He extends to her a revelation about himself. He says, guess what? That's me. I am that person. I'm the one. Now, if you were to continue to read on in this passage, you would see that this woman goes into town and she tells everybody about this Jesus. And the way she tells them is she goes into town and she says, hey, you got to come with me. You got to meet someone who knows everything bad I've ever done. What a testimony. Like, I feel like sometimes we try to dress God up. Like, God is so loving. I had so much fun at camp. But what if you went to your friends and you're like, I met a God at camp and he knew all the bad things I ever did. And that testimony was enough for an entire town to come out and revival breaks out to the point where Jesus goes, we need more people to help us with this ministry. God shows this woman that he sees her by sitting with her at a well, that he knows her by bringing up her past, and that he loves her by telling her exactly who he was. So what's the point? Why am I sharing all this? I'm sharing all of this with you because just like me at a Lakers game, We've been talking about a God all week that you may simply just not be familiar with yet. You may not fully understand. You might be at a point right now where your friends are raising their hand in worship and so you are, but you don't fully know what that means. You might be at a point where you just got handed a Bible this week and you're like, I know where John is because it's kind of where we've been the whole time. But apart from that, I don't know much more. Here's what I want to tell you tonight. There is a God 
who sent his son Jesus to walk the face of this planet 2,000 years ago, and him showing up on the scene was the fulfillment of hundreds upon hundreds of Old Testament prophecies that one day God would walk the earth for the single purpose of taking our sin away so that we could be in a relationship with the God of the universe in the way that things were always meant to be. God sees you, God knows you, and he still chooses to love you. And so you may not fully know who or what we're talking about this week. But it's so important as you walk out of this chapel tonight that you know how much God loves you. That you know he knows. He's seen it. He understands what you've been going through. He knows the mistakes you've made. He's not happy with it, but he still loves you. And still, in his loving kindness, he has afforded you an opportunity to spend a week doing nothing but learning more about his character. See, the truth about Jesus' earthly ministry is that it was marked by moments like this. That Jesus walked the earth healing people, raising sick people from the dead, telling others that he is the Messiah, the Christ who was promised, and then he invites them to follow him. I don't know what you think to be true about God. I don't know what you think to be true about the Bible. I don't know what you think to be true about Jesus. But the thing that I want to tell you tonight is that God sees you, he knows you, and he still chooses to love you. That's massively important for us to understand. John 3.16 says it this way. He says, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting eternal life. Everlasting eternal life only comes through our belief in Jesus. There's another part in scripture in the book of Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus is with this same group of disciples. They're walking through this town that was like pretty similar to Las Vegas, kind of a gross place to go, especially if you were religious like the Jews were. And he shows up and he's standing in this town square. This is in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 16. And he looks at his disciples and he asks a question. The question he asks his disciples is, who do all these people think that I am? It's a pretty good question. Hey, who, who does everyone here think that I am, is what Jesus asks. And some go, well, they think you might be the prophet Elijah. Some say John the Baptist. Others say just like an all-around good guy. And then Jesus flips the question. And he looks at his own disciples and he says, but who do you say that I am? The thing I want you to walk out of here tonight with is an understanding that it doesn't matter what your parents think to be true about Jesus. It doesn't matter what your youth pastor or your counselor thinks to be true about Jesus. It doesn't matter what that squirrely person to your left or your right thinks to be true about Jesus. It doesn't matter what I think to be true about Jesus. Because the question that God has for you is, who do you say that he is? Who do you think Jesus is? Because it's your belief in the revelation of Jesus that has the power to change your life. Like Romans 10.9 says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, then we can be saved. You see, friend, it's not enough for me to stand up here and tell you Bible knowledge facts. It's not enough for you to do the scripture memory. What matters at the end of the day is who you think Jesus is. Here's what I love about Jesus. He was very clear about who he was. 
And he was very clear to those who would listen about why he was there on earth. And this passage in John 4 is just one simple example of the fact that God sees, knows, and still chooses to love because that's who he is. He's the author and creator of all things. He's in charge and in control. And he's also love. He sees, he knows, and he loves. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for these students. Thank you for their uh, attentiveness tonight. God, I pray more than any silly story or any distraction. I pray that these passages that we've read would be the thing that we walk out of this door thinking about and pondering. Like your disciples were hit with in the book of Matthew chapter 16, God, who do we say that you are? Who do I personally believe you to be? Would you help us to come face to face with that truth this week? Lord, I don't believe anyone in here is too young. I don't believe anyone in here is lacking the life experience to ask such questions. And so I pray that at some point in the next day or two, you would get a hold of their attention and that you would help them to wrestle with that. Who do they think you are? God, show them in Scripture the places all throughout the Gospels where you, sh- you see people, where you know people, and you still choose to love them. We thank you for tonight. We thank you for camp. It's in your name we pray. Amen.